You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Well, hello and welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. My, my name is Shane and I'm here with uh, Perry Noble as we're going to talk about leadership. And uh, today in particular, we're going to talk about the four problems the church has to deal with. But before we get to that, I just wanted to let everybody out there know about a couple things that are coming up at New Spring Church this fall. The first is our New Spring Leadership Conference. That'll be on September the 6th. It is uh, a one-day deal with seven incredible speakers. Uh, it'll be the third time we've done this, Perry, and we've gotten great feedback along the way. What do you want our listeners to know about that day and why they should be here? Well, you got to be here because it's the best one-day leadership conference on the planet, in my opinion. Um, and it's uh, seven leaders talking about church and leadership and uh, people from all across the spectrum. So I'm really looking forward to that day. Um, James McDonald, Stephen Furtick, Matt Chandler, Judd Wilhite, Judah Smith, um, uh, Andy Stanley. It, I mean, it's just going to be an amazing day. And uh, hearing those guys, I mean, I, I love it. I love It's my favorite conference. It really is incredible. And the thing that you guys out there in the listener land needs to know is that the tickets are $139 right now, but on July the 1st, they go up to $159. Now, our CFO would hope that you would wait. <laughs> but we would love you to go ahead and get signed That's up so right. you can uh, guarantee to have a seat there. Because yep. it's going to sell out. Oh, it will sell out. It sold out both years, I think, or close to it. So uh, huge crowds, big day, lots of fun. Don't miss it. Uh, the other thing is this will be a much smaller event, and the tickets uh, or the, the um, availability for it is going quickly. But... If you want to put in an application for the leadership intensive that we'll do November the 11th uh, through the 4th, I'm sorry, November the 12th through the 14th, uh, you need to get that in right away. Registration ends uh, July the 16th. Perry, tell our listeners about the leadership intensive and what it's all about. Well, it's um, we used to do the coaching network, and we would meet you know between four and six times a year, and people would come in from all over the United States to be a part of this. And what we began to realize is, um, people want leadership training, but it's really hard to devote four months, but they could devote a concentrated period of time. And we had it for just senior pastors, but we began to notice that student pastors, youth pastors, or student youth, yeah, same thing, worship leaders, children's pastors, executive pastors wanted the same type of training. So we offer um, about two and, a, two and a half days of intense. It's called intensive because it's intense, um, but uh, it it's... It's one of my favorite things that we get to do because we just get to talk about leadership in the local church. It really is great. Uh, we've gotten great feedback over the years for this. Lots of pastors, and it connects us, New Spring Church, uh, to your church, really, from here on out. Uh, so we want you to be a part of that. There's going to be about 60 spots, I think, for that. And uh, so registration, I'm sorry, ends on July the 16th. You have to fill out an application. The cost is $850, and it's worth five times that. I promise you, do not miss your opportunity to be a part of that. Well, with that, I want to jump into today's topic, Perry. We're going to reference a blog post you wrote just this past week called The Four Problems the Church Has to Deal With. And this is something, obviously, that's been on your mind and your heart, things that, obviously, our church has had to deal with. Right. Um, and so I wanted to, to jump in uh, just right out of the gate with, with uh, section number one from your blog post where you pose this. You say, we are answering questions that no one else is asking. That's a problem that the church has to deal with. Right. What questions are people asking? I think people are asking questions like, um, the, the two most common questions ask if 
And Shane, this is if a pastor will have a conversation with an ordinary person that attends his church. Um, they're asking questions like, hey, um, my marriage is falling apart. Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Um, hey, I'm broke or I'm in debt or I've made some really bad financial decisions. Um, how, do I, how do I get past that? Um, I've, had, I've had girls ask me, okay, I was raped when I was a little girl. How do I get past that hurt or that fear or that pain or that frustration that that was, call, that was caused there? Um, how, do I, how do I deal with somebody that really hurt me in my past? I've had men say, my business partner stole um, $100,000 from me. How do, I, how do I forgive him? I mean, like, okay, you tell me to forgive him. What does the Bible say about that? The questions that they're dealing with every single day. Okay, you tell me to be a godly husband and a godly father. How do I do that? Like those, I think those are the questions that I'm hearing from people most consistently. And the Bible addresses all those issues. Every single one of them. I mean, recently, Shane, we did a series called Overwhelmed, and I announced I was going to preach on the subject of depression, stress, and anxiety. And we had record attendance because people really are dealing with that stuff. What are some of the topics that a church can drift toward if it's not careful? Um, angels. Uh, the only people asking about angels in your church are weird people who probably saw an angel in their cornflakes. Um, they could be a cornflake. Uh, you just like, like seriously. Now, now I, I'm I don't I'm not saying you shouldn't teach on angels. I'm just saying uh, probably an eight week series on angels is a little overkill. Um, uh, the rapture. Um, nobody knows when it's going to happen. Um, the, I don't think the Bible the words even in the Bible either. If there even is one, I don't know. I don't care. This is this is what I know. Jesus is Lord. Um, but people talk about the rapture. Um, one of the ones that that I that I have to warn people away from is a uh, uh, predestination, uh, free will versus predestination. And one of my favorite things to do with usually it's a young dude is say, all right, pick which team you want to be on, and I'll be on the other team, and we'll fight it out. But I'm not going to go up in the pulpit and teach on it because at the end of the day, is it important to have an important theological knowledge and base? Yes, but we need to use it to supplement. I mean, really meet people where they are. That's what Jesus did. That's right. Jesus met people where they were and brought them to where they needed to be. That's what Paul did in Athens. Um, that's what that's what we're that's what we're told to do. That's what God did for us in sending Jesus to the world. You know, the Word became flesh. Um, and so those, but we can we can get off topic really really fast and begin to talk about things that most people don't care about. And the danger in getting off topic is that we may improve our arguments or our knowledge about that, but no one gets added to the kingdom. Well, we get obsessed with information and not revelation. Um, and information can make us very proud and arrogant, but revelation changes us. Um, and there are too many. Um, people out there that are really proud of the information that they're obtaining in the local church, but information never really changed anybody. It was revelation that changed people. Um, the Bible says that the, the demons even believe there's one God, and they shudder. I mean, they've got the information. Um, they just don't have they don't have the revelation that He really does reign over them, and um, they will. They'll get it. That's right. One day, uh, how how does a church keep answering the right questions? Pastors have to do ministry. And when I say have to do ministry, they've got to have conversations with everyday, ordinary people that are in their church. Because if not, pastors and church leaders, if they're not careful, they'll isolate themselves from the people that they're called to minister to, 
And that's where they drift toward the theological conversations. That's where they drift toward the really deep biblical conversations. And once again, Shane, I'm not saying that those don't need to happen. I'm not saying they're not important. But I'm saying, um, I heard it best described this way. Do the cooking in the kitchen, but bring the cookies out of the kitchen and put them on the bottom shelf. Mm -hmm. Yes, let's have those conversations. There's a time and place for them. But the way we answer, the way we keep answering the right questions is we actually, um, just like Jesus, meet with the people that come to our church, um, lunches, dinners, coffees, whatever, um, and and listen to the questions that they're wrestling with. That's because uh, the second part of the blog post you wrote, and the second part we'll address today is, you said uh, the one of the problems the church has to deal with is calling uh, authenticity, or we call laziness authenticity. Yes, uh, why is it so tempting uh, for the church to put the quote unquote that's really good for a church label on things and feel good about it? Because the church has revel like we've celebrated mediocrity for so long. Um, Shane, I remember going to a um, I, I received Christ in a uh, Southern Baptist church in Easley, South Carolina, and it was an amazing church. It really was. We had a choir and orchestra and the whole thing. But our choir was awesome. And I didn't know this until later, but if you wanted to sing in the church, you had to audition in front of the music minister and the pastor. Um, yeah. And, and they, they and, but everybody that got up to sing a solo was amazing. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, this is what the music's going to be like in heaven. And then I went to serve as a youth pastor in my first church, and I got, I got up to sing a special. Um, and I thought it was a skit because it was so bad. It was the worst thing I'd ever heard. I, and I couldn't believe that somebody had actually allowed him to sing. Um, now, what people would argue back, and these are especially people with the mercy gift, is, well, I'm sure his heart was good. Well, I'm sure his heart was good, too. Unfortunately, I wasn't listening to his heart. I was listening to his voice, and it was horrible. And so... But, but the church will do that because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So we'll allow people that can't teach to teach. We'll allow people that can't sing to sing. We'll allow mean people to work in the nursery. Um, and, and we excuse that as, well, it's good for the church. When I think the church, because we've been called by God, built by Jesus, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we ought to be doing church better than Disney does Disney Apple does Apple or Google does Google because at the end of the day we've got we worship a guy that used to be dead and is now alive. If he can pull that off, I mean that's more impressive than the iPad, the iPad 2, 3, 4, 867. Um, it's more impressive than anything this world has ever done and because um, he he deserves our best in everything, not perfection. Because no church is perfect, and you know as well as I do, we screw something up every single week. But everything we do for the Lord deserves our best. Uh, what do you think about uh, this in regards to how it dishonors God, or do you think it dishonors God? I think if a church, if people don't give their best, it dishonors God. If you go back to the Old Testament, what did God tell the children of Israel? He said, hey, you go out, you build this tabernacle. We're not even talking about the temple yet. We're talking about the tabernacle. You build the tabernacle, and what's the one thing he told them to do? Overlay mm -hmm. just about everything with what? Gold. In other words, give it your best. Everything we do should be overlaid with gold. When they built the temple, overlaid with gold because that honored God. Gold 
was the standard. It was the highest standard possible. It honored God. And the same thing that's true physically is true spiritually of us today. We should do the very best that we can do with what God has given us. Now, that looks different on different levels. But at the end of the day, we know when our head hits the pillow what is the best job that can be done. And that as stewards, as leaders in the church, it's our job to do our best and make sure that those who work with us are doing their best as well. And just to be clear for our listeners, uh, this idea of excellence uh, has nothing to do with style, right? No, 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 no. It has everything to do with attitude. Um, has nothing to do with style. If you're going to do traditional church, um, don't have a tone-deaf choir. Um, have people up there that can actually sing. Um, if you're going to have an orchestra, hey, listen, that's awesome, but make sure the people in the orchestra can play. Um, if you're going to have a contemporary church or a you know, a, an edgy church or whatever. Make make sure your make sure the guys on stage their instruments are in tune. Make sure that the you know that they can play as a band together. Make sure the people. I mean, it's essential to make sure the people can sing that are trying to sing, because if not, it it does not honor God for a lost and unchurched person to come in. Um, they listen to a band that can't play, listen to a singer that cannot sing, listen to a preacher that cannot preach, and on the way out they hear people, well, we did that for Jesus. And it's like, oh, wow, that's what they think of Jesus? That's, I mean, he rose from the dead, paid for their sins, and that's the best they can do? Oh, my gosh. Once again, has nothing to do with perfection. Has everything to do with people being willing to do everything it takes to put forth their best effort. Would you say one of the things I, I think is that uh, uh, whether it's a pastor or a musician or anybody else, you should only do what you can do great. Right? Yes. So if you if you can't do it great, why would you do it? Yeah, like for for example, um, our videos around here got really good about three years ago. I mean, th they've always been good, but about three years ago, they they went to another level as far as the excellence production. Well, I can take you back to, because some people will go, what happened three years ago? I stopped going in the video room trying to edit video. That's exactly what happened. I used to walk over there. I mean, you know this. You work with that team. I used to walk over there and try to help edit the video and say, what if y'all did this? And what if y'all did this? And what if y'all did this? And so we had artists that were hired to create, but they couldn't create because they were so focused on pleasing me. Um, when I got out of the video room, and, and um, pastors that are listening to this, when we have a video on Sunday... Um, usually the first time I see it is in the 915 service. I trust my guys so much that that's when I see it for the first time. Um, is it always exactly what I would have wanted? No, um, it's not. But 90% of the time, it's usually better than what I wanted. So I would, I would just say when I allowed um, the experts to be experts, everything went to the next level. Because, I, Shane, at the end of the day, I can't lead video. Or I can't... Um, I can't do video. I can't edit. I can't even talk about video properly. See, I can't. I can't edit video. That's not my job. Um, organization. I can't do that. I, I mean, it could be my job, but it would be horrible. So I delegate what I can't do, and I own what I can do. That sort of leads me to my next question, which is this: How can a church leader equip and lead his team toward excellence uh, that the world will take notice of? First of all, I think leaders are called to set the bar when it comes to excellence. I put something out on Twitter the other day, um, man, that I believe with all my heart, and it said, and it, it, it got, a lot of, um, got a lot of attention. 
I said uh, the leader that isn't willing to go the extra mile will eventually be passed by the one who is. And that's true. Um, the, the thing I think leaders are called to do is demonstrate an extra mile attitude when it comes to um, when it when it comes to excellence. If they don't if they don't see it, then they won't do it. And so it's up to us. And then the second way is help people to understand why excellence really does honor the Lord. I think I think leaders have a very 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 important mandate on us to say, hey, we're called to do our best. This is honors God and. Hey, I don't think that was your best effort. I mean, I think you got more in you. Do it with an encouraging attitude rather than a condemning attitude. You get a lot further. Yep. And so what I hear you saying is a leader needs to, to set the bar, be an example of hard work, yes. and then get out of the way and let the experts be the experts. Yeah, because your experts, I mean, they'll, they'll pass you. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, yeah, if you got the right people, they'll take it further than you could have ever imagined. And just to get back to the, the, the heading in this section, we call laziness authenticity. Just one more time, what is the benefit, or why do you think a church or a leader drifts to this? Is is it just simply laziness, or do you think it's fear, or do you think it's not wanting to um, uh, offend somebody? I mean, wh- what would you say are the, are the reasons? What can the leaders out there listening look for in themselves to make sure that they are not calling something authentic when it's just plain lazy? Yeah, I think it is fear of man. I don't want to tell her she can't sing anymore. She's been singing for 20 years. Well, okay, that's why you've been running 75 people for 20 years. Um, and they're all her family, by the way. Uh, I, I, I don't. It's fear of man. It's fear of letting go of control. Um, but the, the, thing about, the thing about this word authenticity is I've, I've heard it thrown around a lot in the past year. And something is done really bad, and they go, well, that's, I mean, it was just authentic. Well, it was authentically bad. Um, that's the only thing that was authentic about it is it was bad. Don't call a half-hearted, piss-poor effort authentic. It's not authentic. Authentic is I'm doing this with all my heart and all my soul to honor the Savior who died on a cross to pay for my sins. That's authentic. And if we're putting forth that sort of effort um, in that kind of worship and appreciation, it's not it's 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 not going to turn out bad if we're doing what God's called us to do. Yeah, and don't discount the time uh, on your knees praying for God to bring you people to your church gifted to do the things you want to do. Absolutely. I know that that's what we've seen here in our musicians, our video guys, everybody. Uh, we have taken time to ask God to bring us people gifted to do what we think we wanted to do, uh, but we're but we knew we need, didn't need to do it because it wasn't great, right? And so um, don't discount that. Section three of the four problems that a church must deal with was this: we use discipleship as an excuse not to do evangelism. Let me just start out with this: discipleship's good, right? Absolutely, I'm all about discipling people. I think people should be discipled. I think people should grow in their faith. Um, we're told, um, and Peter writes for us to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. I mean, we're we're called all through Scripture to know Christ and then grow in Christ. And uh, I absolutely put a high value on discipleship because it's it's essential. I mean, I watched, um, I think about my dad. You know, my dad's been dead now for nearly a year, and he received Christ in the early 1970s in Los Angeles, um, where we were living, actually a little town called Whittier. And uh, he received Christ, but the church 
never really rallied around him and discipled him. And I saw him wrestle for years and years and years with wanting to follow Jesus, but not knowing how. And I saw my dad do the whole prodigal son thing. And I, I don't blame the church per se, but I always wonder what would have happened to my own dad had there been a group of men or a, or, or a man in particular that would have taken interest in him, that would have walked him through the scriptures, talked to him about how to be a godly husband, talked to him how to, about how to be a godly father. What kind of changes could have taken place in my dad if that kind of interest would have been shown in him? Um, how have you seen discipleship get in the way of evangelism in the church? Well, people, people say, I've seen churches go, well, we're not really focused on evangelism. I mean, we're just a small church, and everybody just loves one another, and we're, we're really focused on making disciples and going deep. Well, you're only as deep as what you do. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem is we've been called and commissioned, commanded by the one who saved us to go into the whole world. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 48, John chapter 20, verse 21, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, Romans 1, 16, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. I mean, I could go through the whole New Testament. That's pretty good just, right there. Yeah, I just, but it's, it's legit. Those are just, those aren't even obscure passages. Those are clear passages to go and tell. I'm reading the other day about, um, Christ and His forgiveness of our sins, and we've been, you know, I was dead and now I'm alive in Ephesians 2, and I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, this is the greatest message ever. Why? This is, this is, and and here's what blows my mind, Shane. The people in the church that'll say, well, we're, we're not really, we're just kind of going deep. They can go to a movie or they can go to a restaurant and enjoy it, and they'll go tell everybody about that, but they won't do the same thing to the one they say who saved them. So I just... I just think it's a cop-out. The other thing I say when we get in the Scripture is show me one disciple that wasn't an evangelist. Peter, Thomas, Matthew, James, John. All of these men martyred for their faith, not because they were in a Bible study, but because they were evangelizing, because they were telling people about Jesus. And so, we, yes, discipleship is essential, but if discipleship is not leading to evangelism, it's not discipleship. That's so good. I mean, going and telling... That was good. That was great. I high-fived myself And I will right go there. ahead and tell everybody out there, all those Bible verses you rattled off are not written down anywhere. So that was very impressive. But uh, in regards to going and telling, you're talking about, we'll go tell about movies, restaurants, but going and telling about Jesus is uncomfortable. Do you think that's what keeps people from doing that? Absolutely it's uncomfortable. Well, two problems. Number one, it's uncomfortable. Um, and I'm going to acknowledge that. It's uncomfortable for me, Shane. I'm the pastor of this church and I get uncomfortable every time I invite somebody to church, every time I tell somebody about Jesus, because there's a spiritual element to it. I can talk to a complete stranger about politics, and there, there's no uncomfort. But when you bring Jesus into it, there's a spiritual element. Number two, the reason it don't happen is because a lot of churches that say they focus on discipleship and not evangelism don't know any lost people. The people they, They've never locked eyes with a hellbound pagan. And when you lock eyes with somebody that's on their way to hell, if Jesus doesn't intervene... It changes the way you feel about people outside the church. Sometimes we just quickly forget where we were, where we were when we were found. Yep. And I'll tell you the other thing, Shane. I'll tell you the other thing. Churches that usually say they focus on discipleship and not evangelism are mean. <laughs> they are mean. They're arrogant, and they are 
angry at the world because the world does not believe like them. Not understanding that spiritual growth takes time. It happens in a crock pot, not a microwave. It takes time for roots to get down in the soil and go deep. So the person that thinks they're deep, they might be, but they didn't get deep in five minutes. It took 20, 30, 40 years. And we cannot get angry at a world that does not know Christ for not knowing what it's taken us 40 years to learn. So true. Sounds more like Pharisees than Jesus yeah. to me. Uh, let me ask you this. Is the reverse, evangelism as an excuse to not disciple, also a danger? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's uh, it's kind of like if you go down, if you go into the woods with a chainsaw, let's say you go into the woods with a chainsaw, and your goal is to chop down trees, um, that the, that's not that hard. What's really difficult is coming in behind the person chopping down trees and ma- making toothpicks out of the wood that was chopped down. I think that's part of our calling as, as church leaders, is once, once someone comes to Christ, it's our job to make sure they are continually conformed to the image of Christ. And so we can't say, well, we're just going to go out and reach a bunch of people and not worry about discipling them. Um, and I'll just admit it, Shane, for years that was kind of um, my attitude um, when we started the church. I was like, we're just going to reach people. We'll just figure out. I mean, they can figure out the discipleship thing later until several years ago where God just convicted me of that. And I was like, no, I want people to, to know Christ, but then I want people to grow in Christ too. I think one of the reasons that a lot of people, um, we have a hard time uh, representing Christ accurately is because we don't know him accurately. I think one of the reasons there's a lot of really bad theology in the church is because people have not been discipled or mentored in within the church. And so we got to introduce people to Christ, and we've got to continually show them who Christ is. Now, I also think, and I'll put this out there, I think that happens in our church. One of the ways we do that is every Sunday. Every Sunday it's my goal as the pastor to, number one, teach you something you did not know about Jesus, or number two, remind you of something you had forgotten about Jesus. So what's fascinating is let's say um, you've got somebody in your church that attends 35 to 40 times a year. So 35 to 40 times a year, somebody either learns something new or they're reminded something that they've forgotten. If you accomplish that 35 to 40 times a year, that's discipling that person. Now, yes, I'm all about the programs and I'm all about the weekend classes and I'm all about the extra stuff, but I'm telling you, if we're doing church right, we are raising up disciples. That's really good. The um, What I hear you saying is a leader has to... I mean, we believe that the Holy Spirit saves. We believe the Holy Spirit will grow. Yes. But the leader's responsible for both uh, preaching the gospel and calling people to discipleship. Yes. That's the leader's responsibility. Absolutely. All right. Uh, the final uh, area of the uh, problems the church must deal with is this. We become political and neglect the prophetic. Yes. Uh, now, you're not asking leaders... Um, to lead their church away from being involved in the political process, are you? No, 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 no. And, and I, you know, we covered this in the blog post. It amazes me when the media comes and they say um, evangelical Christians should not have a political opinion. And I'm like, they're not saying that about the, the whatever rights group or the advocacy group or whatever. Um, you know, PETA could have their opinion, but the church doesn't need to have an opinion. And I think Christians should have a political opinion. I think it should be a strong opinion. I think we should vote. I think if you do not vote, you should keep your mouth shut when it comes to the condition of our country. I think we're called to be involved 
in politics on a local level. We're called to pray for our leaders. Um, we're we're called to you know we're called to be involved to to that extent. So I don't I don't think the church should step away from politics. I think we have as much of a right to be involved as any other group out there. That's good. Well, how can a church leader keep his people involved but not distracted by the political process? One of the things I've tried to do is I've tried to encourage people to vote. I mean, you know, Shane, this is an election year. You'll remember four years ago I told people you should vote. Um, I didn't tell our staff who to vote for, but I told our staff you should vote. I didn't tell our church who to vote for, but I said you should vote. And it gets really tense. I remember um, I used an illustration um, uh, about Barack Obama and John McCain in the last election. And I simply was talking about clarity of vision and why it's important. And I said, what's Barack Obama running on? What's his campaign slogan? And everybody said, hope and change. And I said, and what's John McCain's campaign slogan? And it was dead silent. I said, exactly. I said, the vision is not clear. Well, we started getting calls and emails going, Perry Noble's going to vote for Barack Obama. And I didn't say that. I never said that. But Anytime you bring up a political leader's name or a p- particular political party, it's going to it's going to be emotional in your church service. People are going to make assumptions based on what you um, talk about. So, um, I, one of the things I try to do is I'll talk about the Democrats and Republicans. If I'm going to use a illustration about politics, I'll try to include both parties. Um, I'll encourage our people to pray for our leaders. Um, I'll do things like that. Uh, so I encourage, and, and I'll tell our people to go vote. In October, I mean, you know, I'll tell them they should vote, but I will not tell them who to vote for. Uh, what do you think is the best way for a leader, or any believer, believer for that matter, to react to and then work to change something that doesn't seem right in the political realm? I think the thing to do, um, I think our mandate as the church is to teach on issues from a biblical perspective and not a political perspective. Um, and one of the things I'm trying to do when I teach through issues that I think need to be addressed is I don't come at it from, this is what the Democrats say, this is what the Republicans say, and this is what the Bible says, because, um, you're going to side with one side, um, and, and one side gets happy and one side gets mad. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I literally stick to say, and all right, there's a, Debate in our country as to such and such. Let me just walk you through what I really do believe the Scripture says about this. And I speak um, prophetically uh, about it. I don't speak apologetically about it. And um, so far, in 12 years of ministry, um, that's worked. That's worked really, really good for us. Because, once again, we're called to address issues. We're called to say, I mean, we're going to have the church does have a voice, we do have a platform given to us by God, and we have a right to speak into society, but I think we've got to embrace that right not and not align ourselves with a particular political party, um, but align ourselves with what the scriptures say and, and say and let the political parties, um, let, let them just do what they do. Yep, I remember a couple of years ago when the the current or the previous recession hit really strong, we did a series called Bailout. And during that series, you didn't talk about what the Republican or the Democrats or Democrats' uh, ideas were to get the country out of the problem. You talked about what the Bible said about how we can handle our finances. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Because it, at the end of the day, when you bring up issues, um, it, it's going to get tense. I'll tell you who does. I'll tell you who's done the, one of the best jobs um, in doing this is Andy Stanley at North Point. 
um, which you you should listen to his leadership podcast um, sometime. It, it, and you All say which time. episode? Just every one of them. But um, he did a series uh, back in two thousand and eight called "Letters to the Next President," and he preached from um, political issues from the scriptures, and he literally dealt with the, I mean he walked the line so beautifully so awesome um and so I think it can be done but the issues have to be spoken to from a biblical perspective and not uh, a political perspective uh, I want to hit the four problems uh, every church has to deal with real quick uh, number one, we're answering questions that no one else is asking. We're calling laziness authenticity. We use discipleship as an excuse not to do evangelism. And we're becoming more political and neglecting the prophetic. Uh, what are some ways you lead our church to stay focused in all those areas? Well, you know, with um, I'll just walk back through them. With uh, answering questions that no one is asking, um, I, I got this idea from, from Mark Driscoll. Uh, several years ago, we'll probably do this again in the future. I remember one of the one, one time where we asked people in our church to send in questions that they would love to see a sermon preached on, and then we put them on the internet and people voted. And Shane, I preached for six or seven weeks on subjects that I don't think I would have ever addressed. Um, but I was, and you know what? We had record attendance because people showed up, and because we were talking about stuff that they were interested in, and um, people got saved. People received Christ. I love it when um, the 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 naysayers go, "Well, you're just tickling their itching ears." I, okay, I don't even know what the heck that means, but but I'll say, no, we're meeting people where they are and bringing them to where they need to be. Okay, I'll talk I'll talk with you about can a can a Christian drink a beer? Like that that was one of the subjects. Um, I'll talk with you about that, and I'll lead you to where you need to be. Um, and Jesus will meet you there. That's I mean, right. that that's we so we see that working effectively. We call laziness authenticity. Once again, don't put forth a half-hearted effort and say, "Well, that was just authentic," because it wasn't. Jesus deserves our best. Um, we're sinners; we're going to fall short, but He deserves our best. And if you're a leader in the local church, the most important institution that's ever existed in the history of the world. We're called to have a higher standard. We should have higher standards for our staff than corporate America because what we do at the end of the day matters. Apple as a company will not exist in 500 years. Google as a company will not exist in 500 years. Um, but if uh, Jesus doesn't come back in the rapture, which nobody even knows if that's... Anyway, if Jesus doesn't come back, the church will still be here in 500 years. Um, we use discipleship as an excuse not to do evangelism. Just, hey, encourage your people as much as possible to lock eyes with people that don't know Jesus and think about the fact that they need Jesus. And at one time, you were that person that needed Jesus. And the other thing is, think about this. If the disciples... If the original guys had embraced discipleship the way the local church embraces discipleship today, there, pro there would probably only be about 30 or 40 Christians in the entire world. Mm -hmm. um, the world didn't get turned upside down because men devoted themselves to really deep theological discussions and Bible studies. It's because they could not stop talking about a guy that they saw murdered and he came back to life. That changed the world. Mm. Um, and number four, we become political and neglect the prophetic. I would just say this to pastors. It's an election year, and um, you're probably going to get some 
you know, especially in the bigger cities, you'll probably get some some politicians that want to stop by your church sometime. Um, they'll they'll come once every four years or once every two years, and they want to talk to you, and uh, and and they want to they they'll send you a note going, we want to attend your service, and you know, I tell all political guys, yeah, you can come to our service, you can attend, and we've had I've literally had. Um, people drop hints going, well, can you, I mean, could, could we do a prayer or something? And I'll pray for you. No, could I pray on stage? No, you're not getting on stage. I would not let a political leader on this stage. Um, now, we might, if I had two guys running and we were praying for them, or, you know, like I, I love what Rick Warren did um, with Barack Obama and John McCain, where he interviewed both of them and asked them specific sets of questions. I thought that was brilliant. I wouldn't mind doing something like that one day, but as far as letting a senator or a congressman or somebody come up on stage and, and say a, you know say a prayer or give a speech on a Sunday, um, I'm not turning over the pulpit because because here's the deal: if they were elected president or senator or whatever, and I went to Washington, they wouldn't shut down what they were doing for me. I, I, I mean, if I showed up and said, "Hey, I want to speak uh, to, to Congress today," well, they're not going to let that happen. And at the end of the day, I think what pastors and church leaders are doing is actually more important than what political leaders are doing. And so I would simply say, pastors, do not get in bed with politics, because like I wrote in the blog post, you will wake up one morning and find your lover gone, and they will come back in two to four years when they need something from you. If they show up at your church, let them attend, pray for them, encourage them, meet with them behind the scenes, disciple them if they want to be discipled, do everything you can to serve them and lift them up as a leader. But at the end of the day, the Word of God should be declared from that pulpit every Sunday, not the um, agenda of a political party. I love that. And so just to be clear, Monday through Saturday, if Mitt Romney and Barack Obama want to be hosted in a debate by Perry Noble, you're okay with that? Yes, I would love that. I would love that, or or if they wanted to just fight. I think a cage fight would be cool, too. But um, Winner I, take all. Winner take all. I mean, think about that, man. That would be kind of cool. You probably sell tickets to that. I'm th- I don't know, man. I, I, I'm just, anyway, Barack Obama's from Chicago. and and that's Yeah, and that's where James McDonald's from, and they're pretty rough guys up there. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just, I'm just saying that uh, yeah, Monday through Saturday, if they wanted to debate and uh, and let me moderate, yeah, uh, that would be, be fun. I'm, I'm just going ahead and put it. All our listeners yes. need to start blowing up Twitter and Facebook. Yes, in your local congressman and senator that Perry Noble needs <laughs> that to would moderate be awesome. A debate between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama. Hey, listen, let me tell you something about those two guys because everybody's going to ask me what I think about Barack Obama and Mitt Romney, um, as far as politics, and this is my official political position as we get ready to sign off. Everybody's nervous right now. I'm nervous. Um, Not really. I respect and admire both of those men. I really do. Right now, it looks like Mitt Romney's going to be the Republican nomination. It looks like um, Barack Obama's pretty much going to be the Democratic nominee. Uh, I don't think anybody stepped up to run against him. I admire those men. I respect those men. Um, I, I pray for our president right now. Um, if Mitt Romney is elected, I will pray for our president um, I'll pray for him as our president. It doesn't matter, but I really do it, admire and respect those men simply because at the end of the day, we have no idea the pressure that those guys have to carry each and every day. And um, I'm going to watch this election with a lot of interest because 
Um, it's really interesting the condition of our country right now and which way it's going to go and which direction it's going to go. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to endorse a candidate um, officially. I don't, I don't think I ever will. Um, but I will say it's going to be an incredibly fun election to watch. It will. Well, with that, um, we will sign off for the late April, early May edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Woo-hoo. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time.